Hello, Tim Bellpot listener. I just wanted to throw out a bit of a disclaimer that these early episodes, we were still figuring it out, and we got better in pretty much every way. Definitely audio, storytelling, choke telling, research. So, um, you know, maybe start with episode 20. But if you still want to see what the growing process was like for us, continue listening to these early ones because I could see all that's fun. But um, just know it gets better. Hi, guys. I just wanted to let you know that since the last disclaimer, we've gotten so much better at making disclaimers. Like, for example, um, this one has lasers. This one has some dinosaurs. I even talk like a robot in this one. And if you want to listen to an episode, like, without any disclaimers, I would say um, maybe, like, 27, I think, Bruiser Brody. I think that was, like, the first episode where we figured out kind of, oh, this is what we do. So, yeah, no disclaimers on that one. Um, I mean, you can listen to this old-ass episode. I wouldn't, you know, and I fucking wrote it and edited it and researched it. and All right. Well... Uh, enjoy this episode. Did you watch Takeover Chicago? No, I didn't. It was it was great. I didn't I'm watch sh- it. Uh, I mean, I probably will, but uh. I'm sure it was. I'm sure it was. Yes. <laughs> I, just, I imagine it was fantastic. I imagine all my friends were on the show, and I imagine they all did fantastic. <laughs> while I sat at home questioning my life, I'm, I imagine that was what was going on. That's pro- is it, that probably happens a lot, though, right, Jake? Uh, every wrestling <laughs> show that's on television, because that is something I'm not on, is televised wrestling. Four and a half fucking stars. It was good, and I'm glad that for a professional wrestling podcast, we literally don't watch professional wrestling. No, no, no. We're too No, busy. I don't, and I'm in it. Like, I don't watch my own matches. I'm just too busy watching Kawada Masawa 6394 uh, over and over and over and over and over and over. Much harder to watch your matches or to listen to your setback. I don't like this conversation because I don't have any part of it. <laughs> that, that's a fantastic question. That's a good question, question though. It, it really is. I would say... Sorry, real quick before Jake answers, I just just illustrate the pain and the just the stress <laughs> on his face that is coming right yeah, now. Yeah, there, there's a lot. I would probably say I'd rather watch one of my matches <laughs> because there's a sense of that I kind of know what I'm doing wrestling wise. I was gonna say just the, year, like the years. Yeah, like I have 15 years in pro wrestling yeah. where I have like maybe three in comedy, so like I'm gonna hear a lot more mistakes in a five minute set yeah. than I am a 15 minute match. Alright, uh, this is episode three of Tim Bell Pod. Me and Jake are never going to listen to it. No, uh, I, ne- I don't listen to my podcast. Either. I was good, 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 because I, never... I hate my voice, so right now I will never hear the things that I am saying correctly right now. What I'm saying right now will be the last time I ever hear it. So <laughs> just let you know. And uh, depending on how good we are at promotion, it could be the last time anyone ever hears it. But uh, alright, episode three, we are talking about the big boss man. Damn County, Georgia. If you ever take a trip down to Cobb County, Georgia, you better read the signs and respect the law and order. Or you'll be arrested by Big Boss. No, I no. I think it's God how it goes. Damn it, All right. Which is, uh, 
Anytime I live in Atlanta, anytime I drive outside of Atlanta, I and I see a sign for Cobb County, Georgia, I get happy yeah. and think of the Big Boss Man. The tune kicks in, and you're like, yeah, yeah. I, I love, I love the Big Boss Man. Same. Maybe a stupid story. I was in the green room at the Laughing Skull, and <laughs> Big Boss Man walks in. Yeah, Big Boss Man walks in. <laughs> Uh, woo, no, um, yeah, we, somehow we got, uh, <laughs> we just had a conversation about how we're going no, to deal but, with people's deaths and give them proper respect. The ghost of Big <laughs> no, I love Big Boss Man. He is one of my all time favorite wrestlers. Too late. No, fuck you. I don't care. Anyways, we were talking, <laughs> we were talking about how, uh, Cobb County apparently is brutal. The, their police, the police are like really mean. They'll arrest you for anything. <laughs> Anyways, that came up, and then Lace Larrabee, who is a comedian I've in Atlanta, uh, in Atlanta, uh, brought up. She was Miss Cobb County. She was like the the pageant queen oh. of Miss Cobb County, and it took every bit of social awareness inside my body <laughs> to not be like, do you know Big Boss Man? <laughs> Did he present you with the crown? Yeah, like, it's like, am I going to ask this literal beauty pageant queen? Who would have been knows? four years old. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I didn't do it. And I, and I, and, and you'll uh, never know. Good. And you'll never know. So <laughs> I would just like say real quick, the Big Boss Man was huge on me because I grew up in Atlanta from like, <laughs> like, like I don't know when the fuck I was there. Um, I left in '89, and like, I mean, Boss Man. When I heard that music, and Cobb County, Georgia, came over, I was like, "That's my dude. Yeah. That is my dude." And you know what? That's me all the way. Ray Washington Trailer Jr. was born <laughs> May second, nineteen sixty-three, in Marietta, Georgia. He died September twenty-second, two thousand four, in Dallas, Georgia. Uh, he was legitimately a former corrections officer, and he was trained by the Nightmare Ted Allen, who also trained Arn Anderson, as well as Bull Buchanan, who would uh, work with Bossman and the WWF much later. So Ooh. that's a cool little circle. Also, to Ted Allen, um, I actually got to meet him, know him quite well, oh. and his version of... Jake Manning is Kyle Matthews, who's a good friend of mine. So yeah. if we ever do a Ted Allen episode, and I think we should, we, we'll have Kyle on because he was basically what I am to George South is what Kyle was to Ted Allen. Oh, nice. there's, oh, a, there's a lot of really great stories there, and Kyle's nice. really great. And Ted was an awesome, awesome dude. Yeah, that's he is, cool. He yeah. doesn't get a lot of love, so I'm going to give him at least 30 seconds of love right here in oh, a Big Boss Man episode. Let's, let's do awesome. some Nightmare Ted Allen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Writing <laughs> it down right now. So, uh, and... 1985, the 6'6", 300-pounder, 330-pounder, 350-pounder, depending on whose commentary you're listening to, would debut as a jobber for Jim Crockett Promotions under his real name until Dusty Rhodes saw him and he said, Daddy, you ain't no jobber, and and took him off TV for 12 weeks to repackage him as Big Bubba Rogers, a silent, stoic, no-emotion bodyguard for Jim Cornette. Well, before we get any further in his career, that that job match, I've got some information about that from... The Tully one? Uh, from, uh, yes, it was a Tully, a Tully Blanchard match. I got our information from... Um, Ten Bell Pod's own deep throat, George oh, South. Oh, oh, oh. Deep, um, deep in the parking lot, uh, shadows and shit. Exactly. I asked George South, as I always do, I throw out a name and I am either always get, oh, that guy is crazy, or... <laughs> 
I absolutely love that man. And when I said Big Boss Man's name, George was like, oh, I love him. <laughs> um, to which uh, he was actually, from the way George made it sound, he was around or knew the whole story of this particular match with Tully Blanchard, which Damn. was his, which was the job match that we were talking about yeah, that yeah. got Dusty to go, oh, we can make some money off this guy. Right. So anyways, as George will attest, that Big Boss Man, Ray Trailer, is the only guy ever to basically make thousands, maybe millions of dollars off of a rip, which was basically the whole reason that Ray Trailer was wrestling Tully Blanchard on this particular TBS taping was, is because they had separate dressing rooms. And like the, like the job guys didn't get dressed with the full horseman or anybody else. And they obviously, 6-6-3-30 is kind of big for a job guy. I'd say. So, you know, they they thought it would be a funny thing when they, they put it together. like <laughs> Slingshot. Because Tully's finish was the slingshot <laughs> yeah. suplex. And obviously if you're... You know, a name, and you're going over. You're going to use your your finish on the guy. You're so that's supposed to look good. And this is this is the time where like no, they're just calling it in the ring. You're not gonna go over the right, intricacies right. of the match. You mm-hmm. just know what the finish is. And if it's like, oh, you're wrestling Ric Flair, you're figure you're, four. Figure four. Yeah. You know, if it's the Midnight Express rocket launcher, right, and they right. might explain it. And that's all the prep that you're getting. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to meet the guy. Until you wrestle him on TV, which is going to be live to tape. Like a little hey, whatever. No, nope, not even that. Nothing. Sometimes. So yeah. that would, and that's part of the reason why they booked Ray Trailer because they wanted to mess with Tully. Because Tully, he most certainly lived his gimmick, had a certain air about him, an arrogance about him. So they wanted to see his face when he saw the job guy that he was going to have to slingshot. Exactly. <laughs> that's exactly what they're doing. And the thing is, uh, in that day, like. The job guy doesn't get music. He's just in the ring. Yeah, right. So all the guys are sitting there by the monitor. And like, <laughs> he's just like, here it comes, here it comes. And, and then, exactly, they're waiting, they're waiting. And all of a sudden, he's in there. And you're like, Tully, you're up next. And Tully, you know, sees this guy who's 6'6", 300 plus pounds. And it, from the story goes from George, Arn and Lex were standing by the monitor. And he's like, you're never going to get that guy up. Yeah. Like, kept going to Tully. Like, you're never getting that guy up. You're never getting him up. You're never getting him up. Because, like, you would just, you could, back in that day, George said, you could just be a guy off the street and they would just throw you in there. Yeah. So they had no idea if this guy can wrestle. The only reason he probably got a match was just to make fun of, fun of Tully. Right. Yeah. That they are just doing this. The biggest dude to fuck with Tully. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that, that is the only reason that he is in the ring is to fuck with Tully. <laughs> so they get to the point and everybody's, it was a sellout around the, the monitor. As legend goes, because they want to see Tully fail. <laughs> the they monitor. they want they want to see Tully Blanchard fail yeah. so bad because you know, like I said, Tully was probably running his mouth that week. So like we're gonna shut Tully up, mm. and as soon as he comes back, I'm like oh you couldn't get him up. But the second that he got him up and did it better, then look gorgeous. Yeah, that's what he said. It's one of the best slingshot suplex that Tully had ever given in his entire career. As George said. He goes, a lot of people were mad that day because they're like, ah, oh, damn it. <laughs> but then they're like, they were impressed. But then at the same time, too, like, damn it, we really want to tell You succeeded, you asshole. Yeah, like, you weren't, this wasn't supposed to go this well. Yeah. But he did so well. Everybody mm-hmm. took notice, like, well, maybe there's something here. And then that's where we get to Dusty pulling him off TV. Well, that is a thing that you notice throughout Bossman's career. He is an amazing 
seller and taker god. of moves. Oh, he yeah. is a literal yeah, he is selling. a literal god really? at selling. He is so good. Mm-hmm. But just goes to show you you got to be ready at all moments yeah, of time. Yeah, just a, taking a suplex made him one of the eventually made him one of the biggest wrestlers in the Five world. Five minutes that you do on some open mic, you boom. No, nothing Hollywood. good happens from open mics <laughs> ever. But that's what would be the equivalent of this. <laughs> yeah, right? That's exactly what this is. It just if he it had like, to be like a laughing skull open mic, but though. if it were an open mic, everyone just would have been like, "I can take that suplex better," <laughs> and then that would have been the end of it. And I would have then Dossman would have went home and scribbled in his notebook and cried himself to sleep. And then cool. and then George was there when he came back. I believe it was at Greenwood, South Carolina, and uh, Big Bossman came back in the big Bubba Rogers outfit. Yeah, and and and, and, the, and, shit. and the quote was from George when he, George saw him again. I'm like, "Oh, how are you doing?" And Oh, you're doing this, and and Big Bubba Rogers was like, uh, I don't know what what's going on. Uh, <laughs> D- Dusty said uh, for me to get a hat and a jacket, so here I am, <laughs> like, and that's basically all the prep he got yeah, for one awesome. of the biggest push of his career. That's so fucking. Great. And he basically got and he got the jacket and hat at Goodwill. Like, the first one that he had, he, yeah. he's just yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I don't have any money. I'll just go get it. Like, well, it's like the, the, the Woody Allen quote, which <laughs> I don't like quoting Woody Allen now. But uh, just the, what, 95% of success is showing up. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's totally and that's, exactly that, that's what, totally what uh, trailer was. Yeah, he he looked he looked like a giant blues brother. He it's had so the, true. the hats, he had the suits. Yeah, right time, right place. Anything on Jim? Anything else on Jim Crockett? Or nope. Other than we get to later on, I'll, I'll chime in when we're chiming. Uh, one of my go. favorite stories from this time is uh, Jim Cornette told on the Stone Cold podcast. They were outside of the Omni in Atlanta. So there were tons of fans around, like you know, waiting on autographs. And uh, this is still when Bossman was Cornette's, you know, no emotion, tough guy. You know, he no sold everything uh, type of uh, bodyguard. And the cab driver slammed Bossman's hand in the door of the cab, and Bossman just goes, "Hey, brother, brother, my hand." And then like the cab driver freaks out, Cornette freaks out. They open the door. Uh, boss man just puts his hand in his pocket, grabs his stuff, walks into the Omni. It's in like a cartoon, like as soon as the door shuts, he's like, ah! <laughs> and he asked him like, hey, why, how did you not react out there? And he was like, because there were fans around, you know, like and that. I think that's going to be the coolest part about boss man. He is like a method actor. He he is in character. Kayfabe all the way. He baby. is about the business. He is you know he is gonna no sell if he needs to no sell. He's gonna sell if he needs to sell. Uh, he he just got it. He got it on a level that not a lot of people got it. In uh, 1987, Big Baba would join the Universal Wrestling Federation, where he would eventually win the title from One Man Gang. And I would say, arguably, the UWF belt is the biggest one ever won. Well, according to Jim Ross, if you watch the tape, that it is the biggest <laughs> well, belt yeah, in the yeah. history of all of the sport. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think if you want to watch the one-man gang uh, Big Bubba Rogers match, Jim Ross might be on cocaine, possibly <laughs> some other drugs with the cocaine, but it is the most... Uh, energetic and just blah, 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 yeah. Jim Ross he, I have ever heard. He is so out of his mind. It's it's beautiful. Yeah, he, he puts he puts him over though. He made he, <laughs> yeah, he made him look like a million yeah, dollars. Yeah. yeah. Well, also take just one step back. Also to uh, the story about Big Bubba Rogers no selling stuff. 
there was the famous chair shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That you guys were discussing. Avalanche Jim or whoever didn't cut the thing. Right. No, it was, it was Klondike Bill. <laughs> Klondike Bill. Basically, they had this big wooden chair, and Dusty was going to hit this chair over top of the head of Big Bubba Rogers. Oh. And in the, as the legend goes, is after he swung the chair and it broke in a million pieces, Dusty goes to the back and goes to Klondike Bill, who was supposed to gimmick the chair. He goes, hey, Klondike Bill, good job on gimmicking that chair. And Klondike Bill goes, oh, I forgot to do that. <laughs> um, but the biggest uh, thing that Dusty was most impressed with, not even just the fact that he took a non-gimmick chair to the head, is the fact that the hat didn't move. The hat. <laughs> that was that was the big takeaway from Dusty's mind. He's like, the hat did not move, baby. He slightly repositioned his stuff, then he started unbuttoning everything, and then he was like, oh, shit. Right yes. here, uh, it was at Memorial Stadium, too. Yeah. Now, if, you know, Dusty had no love for Mr. Hughes' glasses staying on for an entire match, but (laughs) Big Bubba Rogers' hat staying on, that's a far bigger feat. Uh, Mr. Hughes is a good... uh... Photo negative of Big Bubba Rogers? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They were very similar. Uh, (laughs) Same, same, pretty much the exact same thing, right? Uh, All right. Uh, So he won the belt later that year. He dropped the belt to Dr. Death Steve Williams, as Cornette put it, the WWF was wanting him, and Cornette was like, yeah, you got to go work with Hulk Hogan. Like, he was like, go get, get out of here. Go yeah, get go money, get your go money. Get Which also, there was some discrepancy in his, his pay. Like, he didn't the get... The scaffolding pay. match. He didn't get oh, paid yeah, as much crap, as the performers man. and stuff like that. But he was always kind of, like, getting cognizant of money in Crockett Promotion. There's actually a good story that George told me that um, he was there uh, when Big Boss Man walked out of... Crockett's office because you had to go to the actual office to pick up your check. Yeah. And so it was check day, and yeah. Big Bossman walked in and got his check, and then George walked in and got his check, which was like $40 for TV somewhere. <laughs> and it was somewhere. And awesome. like, oh, he, we watched it, him versus. Yeah, we watched him. Uh, we watched Big George, uh, just to put it out there, George for the monster versus the jobber match, he. Every time he did something, Big Bubba no sold it. But the way George did, like, shit, man. Yeah, what can I it do? Was George. What can I do? Like, I don't, I'm going to try this. <sighs> Fuck, man. I don't know. And just the way he sold the 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 beast that was before him was just beautiful. Yeah, he, yeah. he sold the shit out of it, man. He made a career off. Yeah, yeah there's I mean, a reason. It was, it was so damn good. I was truly impressed. There's a reason he's worked in pro wrestling for a thousand years he's he gets it he, it was so damn good wwe network big bubba rogers at least two matches but against uh george mm-hmm. south but uh when on the day where they got the checks george was looking at a small pay paycheck and big bubba rogers was looking at his paycheck and it was like in the thousands yeah and big bubba rogers went to george and it was like can you believe this and george, <laughs> george, and george, george just staring at him the whole time like and, 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 and Big Bubba Rogers looked right at George, who had a $40 check in his pocket, <laughs> and said and, and said to George, like, what do you think I should do about this? Yeah. And George was like, I think you need to go back in there and ask for more money. <laughs> Just to see him get yelled at. <laughs> so, so, he, so he got him back in the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. George is like, I don't get paid enough, but I get other bonuses in life. And one of them is telling this guy to go back in there and get and more see money. What happens. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That was a It's just an him. experiment, fun thing I do. Yeah, because they, they probably won't fire him, but it's going to be funny <laughs> for the next 15 minutes. <laughs> Well, uh, Bossman did leave UWF and would 
joined WWF in 1988, which he would get his name, the Big Boss Man, in the WWF. And this is the boss man I love. The powder blue uniform, the good cop, the bad cop. The this prison is, yeah, inmate I, beating. This is... <laughs> Just early memories of wrestling to me was Big Boss Man, and uh, he was one of my favorites way back in the day. Big time. And uh, the name Boss Man came with a little difficulty because of Andre the Giant. Yeah, because apparently Andre was known as the boss in the back, and there was controversy with him taking Big Boss Man, but apparently things got smoothed over in time. But yeah, Because Big was, Boss Man was just an awesome dude. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he was just like, such he won, like a... He won him yeah. over with how cool and great he was. Yeah. Well, and, that, and that's the thing. George was doing jobs for, for Crockett and WWF at this time, and George was there, saw Big Boss Man, at WWF for, for tapings and George was like he was the same person yeah. when he was working on top That's with Hogan cool. yeah. he was the same exact person and if anything else you know Ray Trailer was like you know happy to see George because like oh you knew me back when it's good to see you as opposed to like standoffish, like I'm better than you now. Yeah. He was more happy to no, see that's, you. No, that says so much. Man. Yeah, that says so uh, much about who he was. Uh, his uh, debut match was against Louis Spicoli in 1988. Yeah. God damn, I I saw that and I was just shocked. That I was like, Louis was jobbing in '88. To I was like, <laughs> claps for you, man. But uh, yeah, that was that, I didn't see that coming. Yeah, um, every, everyone who talks about Big Boss Man is just, he was hilarious, and he had, like, the biggest heart, and everyone loved him. I, I could not find a bad comment about him. And then, yes, his his debut match, NWWF, uh, was on Superstars of Wrestling, yeah. June 18th. Who's of, this guy with the nightstick in there? Yeah, who, yeah, what, is, yeah. what is going on here? Vince, Vince. Uh, commentary. It's the worst events ever. So. Um, he'd go on to beat Coco Beware at the first ever SummerSlam. He would then, this is the reason he's brought in, begin a feud with Hogan uh, after attacking him on the Brother Love show. He'd also eventually challenge Macho Man for the WWF title. He'd form a tag team with Akeem uh, called the Twin Towers, which what tag team was not called the Twin Towers back then? Uh, and they would have a feud with the Mega Powers, and they were actually wrestling the Mega Powers. It was the key part of when yeah, Macho Man would turn on Hogan. Yeah. It was uh, they were in the ring. One uh, was a Hogan carried Miss Elizabeth uh, back to the back, and Macho Man would come back and flip shit. Women, women. yeah. <laughs> so, dude, already part of like wrestling history uh, immediately. He'd be part of WrestleMania Five, where the Twin Towers would defeat the Rockers, old Sean and Marty. They would uh, eventually face Demolition for the belts. He'd also challenge Hogan for the WWF title, which included a steel cage match where Hogan superplexed Bossman off the top of the cage, and I was surprised both of them took that bump. They, like, they killed it. It was I one mean, of their best matches. For, yeah, it was one a, of the best matches between both of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it was a fun match, and uh, that spot in particular, um, pro- kind of a big move for those days, right? You know, this yeah. is huge. late eighties, right? Huge, you know, huge man. Mm-hmm. But when you have someone like Boss Man, who's just like. All right, let's do it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Everything I read about him, he was like, I mean, all right, let's do it. Yeah, I mean, look at man. He did a lot of crazy things, and I don't know. He just seemed like a happy kid who was like, I'm getting, you know, I'm making money to. Yeah, so the way it's like he was always just happy to be a part of stuff, so it didn't matter what yeah. links he had to go to. It was just, he's being a part of something big, so it's fun, and it's like, Hell yeah, man. And it's Hulk Hogan, late 80s. Yeah, right. Yeah. Who's not going to Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, right. That's true. 
And again, he was 300, 350, 380, depending on what point in his career he was. But he moved like he was like 180, you know? And so he could do spots like this. One of the best slides out of the ring in the business. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that slide under and the uppercut. And the boom! Mm-hmm. Hands uh, down. One of the best. <laughs> you know? And he, he, was so, he was just like, he was a monster, but he was so agile. And the, from what uh, Cornette was saying, he had no like athletic background. Uh, he said maybe some high school football. But he was just a natural. He was just made for this business. Like yeah. He was just... Born to be a wrestler. It's, it's pretty nuts. And not even just some of the athletic part of it. Like, that was one thing that Bruce Pritchard talked about his show, is that as a producer, you could tell him a couple of things. Like this and he, just would, and he would it. just do it. Yeah, and yeah. as a producer, and somebody as myself who, who films a lot of people's promos, when you could just give people a direction and they just nail it right yeah. away, that's that's You're going to go nice. up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> because you're not going to keep a crew there long. Yeah. We're not going to do a lot of editing. We just let you're you go. You're not going to piss people off. You're going to fuck. You're yeah. going to nail like, your stuff. I want to do more work with this guy. Yep. Put this guy in front of a camera. He's great to work yeah. with. Yeah. I, same with like any type of movie making, any type of production art, anything. Yeah, he, he was, I loved his promos. Uh, some of them were accidentally funny, but he had so, he just had like, you could tell that he was like a, he had charisma, I guess. Because anytime he talked, you just wanted to listen. He yeah. committed and yeah. you believed him. That yeah, was yeah, thing. yeah. You yeah. just like, you were like, all right, I, I'm I'm nine years old, but that guy's a real commercial <laughs> Yeah, right? He had one of the great face turns, I think, in wrestling, where uh, with Jake the Snake and the Million Dollar Man. Yeah, with, and Slick uh, and Brother Love yeah. segment. Oh, so good. That was uh, that was super epic. Because uh, his ethics and his morals came into the... Right, right, right. It was like, he was just... I'm just... I'm not a paid hired hand. I'm doing I'm doing the right thing. I'm not just a snatching stuff up for money. And just the crowd reaction was so big. And little de- this show how Jake the Snake is one of the greats. Just the little details of how Jake reacts to when oh the boss man. Drama. It's so, it's when such he hand, a good. he hands him the key to yeah. take off the handcuffs. Oh my god, it's so fucking good. It, it, it's it's really uh, one of my uh, favorite wrestling wrestling moments. It, it's really good. From then on, uh, from ninety to ninety three, he get a run as a singles competitor. He'd uh, feud with the uh, Heenan family because Heenan was making fun of his mama. You insult my mama. Yeah. <laughs> you insult me. He'd face people like the Mountie, IRS, and in 92, he'd have a feud with Nels, ending with a nightstick on a pole match, which mm-hmm. began the on the pole matches, I think. Was that? No, uh, no on the pole matches had existed uh, long really? okay, before yeah. this. There's actually a great story of an on-the-pole match that involved multiple different people, and Mike Graham was supposed to win it. And it, Where was it, this? This was in Florida, and particular people didn't like Mike Graham. Yeah. So what they did was they lubed up the pole, <laughs> and you had to climb up the pole to grab it. So, so it was impossible. It was impossible. They eventually had to like cut the pole down <laughs> to get the thing that was on top of the pole to get it. So. Oh, Jesus. Christ. Brilliant. After the Nels feud, he would kind of take a back seat with, uh, and uh, become more of an enhancement talent, putting over people like Razor Ramon and Yokozuna. And his last pay per view match of this WWF run would be against Bam Bam Bigelow, who we talked about in episode one of 10 Bell Pod. Yeah, we gotta go younger, pal. 
He lost to the old diving headbutt. Yeah, which... Uh, which we, has never resulted in any bad... We kind of uh, talked about this earlier. Bam Bam and Bossman, very similar career uh, trajectories. You know, they were big dudes, made it to the WWF very quickly. They were big but agile. Hogan, like, Hogan wanted to get involved with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They had a lot of weird career recharges and revitalizations. People loved them both, uh, but especially Bossman. No one... Uh, Boss I feel Man. like we have to... Uh, if you haven't seen the Mountie SummerSlam 91 match where a loser goes to jail. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like if you haven't seen that, that's some good uh, just old school WWF silliness where uh, Mountie's dragged off to, to jail and is like, no, I'm part of you. I'm, I, I'm, 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 and it's just, uh, it's, it's good WWF. I mean, how great is it? Like you're, you're the big boss man. You're a police officer and you feud with a convict yeah. and a Royal Canadian Mountain. <laughs> <laughs> like that's just and ideal. That, so, at this point, this is his first uh, break from WWF. During the next few months, he'd make appearances at uh, USWA and SMW. He'd have a small mm. run in Japan as Big Bubba, where he'd work with Kobayashi. Kobashi. Kobayashi. Kobe, Get to Kobashi. Kobe Bryant Ashi. Oh, Jesus Christ. Stan Hansen, Masawa, Kobashi. Don't say that again. Kobe Bryant Ashi. <laughs> don't don't you do it. So that uh, means he's not one of the top ten wrestlers of all time? <laughs> oh, no, don't, don't get me started. Um, <laughs> with a name like Kobe, there's no way he could hey, be in the top ten. Quadruple right? double with turnovers. Uh, I mean, Kenta, yeah, he'd definitely be top three, you know. Kobashi did rely a lot on Shaq. Um, oh, my God. Let's <laughs> fuck edit out, please. <laughs> Uh, in 93, he would go over to WCW as, <laughs> as the boss. December 18th, beating Intercontinental Champion Rick Rude on yeah. WCW Saturday night. Uh, he'd eventually lose to Rick at Starcade 93. So WWF saw the big boss man in WCW calling himself the boss, and they were like, fuck that. Threatened to sue Vince them. Did not like yeah. that. <laughs> they threatened legal action, which I get it, because I remember as a kid kind of seeing the big boss man on WCW and thinking, you know, why is what happened? Why is why is he's he still here? from Cobb County, Georgia? <laughs> yeah, right. So he renamed himself the Guardian Angel, and the Guardian Angels are a non-profit international volunteer organization <laughs> of unarmed crime prevention wow. vigilantes. Wow. So they are wow. they are that, that Curtis Lewa. <laughs> Motherfucker, like, <laughs> like running well. after guys that are gonna be shot by the mob. <laughs> listen to the whole Vampiro shoot if you want to listen to Curtis Lee. Why? Oh, yeah? Yes. Yeah. Vampiro got obsessed with the Guardian Angels <laughs> so much in fact that he went from Mexico City to New York City to hang out with Curtis Lee. Hey, Vampiro, can we talk about wrestling? No. <laughs> listen, his best stories are not about wrestling. Yeah. Like getting kidnapped three times. Jesus, I didn't know. Though it's fantastic. See, uh, there's so many movies, and we need to be right movies, guys. Right, exactly. So the Guardian Angels, yeah, they're like a uh, super neighborhood watch. I don't, I don't know how to describe them. But once Bossman absorbed that gimmick, he went out and became a real-life Guardian Angel. Again, dude just lived his gimmick. Really? It, it's really great. Yeah, yeah, he was. He literally uh, he went through the process. Oh he became God. one. That's, that's just how he rolled. His Rangers. license said Guardian Angel? <laughs> no, no, no. He didn't legally change his name to Guardian Angel. He joined the organization. Ah, then I'm like, just not impressed. I, uh, well, one I, of the I'm big things the Guardian Angels did is they rode the subways to make sure that there was no crime against. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was like a big thing. That and if the big boss man is on your subway cart, 
you're probably just gonna sit there and look at your hands and not yeah, do yeah. some crime because that's a big that's a big dude. Because he's twirling a nightstick. That's yeah, why. Yeah. <laughs> I just I'm glad I didn't confuse Guardian Angels with the Shriners with the little cards. So <laughs> yeah, a little different from that. Uh, speaking of the nightstick, Dynamite Kid had a story about Boss Man. Vince wanted uh, Boss Man to be able to twirl his nightstick like Bruce Lee and nunchucks. So Big Boss Man would just practice and practice. And when he came, he came out with his nightstick one night and was twirling it and threw it into the fucking crowd <laughs> because he wasn't good at it yet. <laughs> and so he almost ended his career right away. I mean, uh, just everybody has that image of some old grandma drinking her soda. <laughs> <laughs> or but a little kid with a popcorn taking it to the face. He really did get truly impressive with his nightstick. Oh, yeah, it was yeah. nuts. I read that on the on Pritchard's podcast, the little thing at the end where their question was like, did you ever see Boss Man practicing? He's like, all the time. Well, probably because of that one incident he had <laughs> for the rest of his life. <laughs> hey, Boss Man, there's lawsuits that are pending. All right, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll, I'll get good. <laughs> In 1995, he would turn Hill and change his name back to Big Bubba Rogers. Uh, he would bring back the costume and everything. Yeah. And he would face Sting at Uncensored, and he would beat Sting at Uncensored. Clean. And it was a clean win. Pretty good match. He messed up his leg, but it was a clean win. Yeah, it was. It was, it was a good match. In 96, he would join the Dungeon of Doom and feud with the Shark and Glacier. Glacier, the greatest wrestler of all time. He, really? he feuded with Glacier? <laughs> Why the fuck not? Yeah. <laughs> you fucking put some goddamn respect on Glacier's yeah, name, my man. friend. I didn't know that, and it's kind of weirding me out right now. Two Georgia boys that are nice as pie. Like, <laughs> yeah, like well, of course you would put those two guys together. Damn. One of my uh, forum names is about Glacier. I fucking love Glacier. Cryogenic kick? No. <laughs> uh, he would eventually join the NWO, get kicked out of the NWO, feud with the NWO, you know, get the chewed, old yeah, get feuded, chewed up and spit out by the NWO like uh, everyone else. Jerks. His last match would be on Nitro, March 30th of 96, Losing to Goldberg, and then he would just he just kind of set out and let his WCW contract expire. After that, he hopped right back into the WWF. He got his big boss man name back. All was right in the world. This time, he didn't have his old school blue uniform. He came back with some SWAT team, a uh, SWAT team gear, and became the bodyguard for Vince McMahon and his corporation. Oh, one thing I was going to jump in on here, too, uh, uh, something that was discussed in the Pritchard podcast, and maybe we can have a little sidebar about it, is there was talking about the fluctuations of Boss Man's weight. Yeah. And how that affected oh, kind man. of his work and kind of like, you know, where his, where his head was about wrestling and stuff like that. Like, And one of the big things of him coming back to WWF was this time that he lost a bunch of weight. Yeah, like 60 tell. pounds you or something. Tell, yeah, man. Yeah. yeah, and, it, it, and especially... I don't think people take for you know really understand like the ability to move at that size. Yeah. As someone like me, like in my career, there was a time where I was two seventy, and I got that way because I was trying to be a big, big boss <laughs> man, like a big burly individual. Because I felt like there was a lot of smaller guys. So I'm like, oh, I'm gonna go big. And that's, just uh, what? Are, what are you now? I am a hundred and ninety three pounds. Wow! So like, <laughs> for me to be two seventy, I can't even point time. fathom. But that's the thing is. But the thing is, too, for a while, just in the last two years, I was two twenty because I was a champion of a promotion. And I was like, oh, I feel like I need to be right. a little bit bigger, over two hundred pounds. Right. But then I'm like, mm, 
the knees are bad the back is bad and so for somebody that's teetering around the 300 mark as agile as he is those knees are aching those back is probably aching and he's had his ups and downs and even like during his first run of wwf is like there's different boss man action figures there's the chubby boss man action <laughs> figure well, yeah, I, I told nick when he first came into wwf you can just see it in his face and everything he's a big chunky dude but i mean he loses that weight quick, but like when he first came in, you can see it. Yes, but very I, th- I think he recognized that after yeah. working a while for that first run of, at WWE. Yeah, is is like okay, I can't carry all this weight and wrestle at the level that I need to wrestle, so I need to lose a little bit. And then of course you're at WCW and you're just kind of just kind of there. You're gonna put it back on, right? And then if you want another run, you gotta lose it. Yeah, because if you want to extend your career, and a lot of a lot of big guys don't recognize that. That's why you see a lot of the bigger guys get into poor health and unfortunately we're probably going to discuss some of them yeah. on on this podcast that didn't make that you know recognition change. that hey I need to change my lifestyle just so I could have an extended career and a life a, a quality of life yeah so but it's he definitely career. took care of take care of business to come back uh, for the yeah second that's run. what makes kind of all this kind of more tragic because he you could tell he tried so yeah, much it's just and he, then, he recognized the, the pitfalls yeah. that you could fall into. And he looked good when he came back. I mean, he, he really was. Did, I mean, man. you know, he was originally billed, you know, three sixty or so, three fifty, three forty. And when he came back, I think he was at three hundred, which as a six six guy with a lot of muscle, yeah, yeah, yeah. Him, not that big. You know, it's probably not the healthiest way. Yeah, but he looked good. I mean, even like just what six months or a year into his first WWF run, you could tell he was like, boom, I'm getting rid of this, and he looked good, man. And yeah. I think any lack of mobility that he would have had compared to his earlier years. Um, would be because of age and obviously more mileage, but also too wrestling in that paramilitary gear is not very easy. Yeah, I imagine, I'd imagine when you're dealing with all of that. So yeah. I think you need to take that in consideration. Well, well, uh, Bossman would come back as part of the corporation. While in the corporation, he won the tag team championship with Ken Shamrock. <laughs> he also won the Hardcore Championship four times, yeah, including including the longest reign ever, which is 97 days. <laughs> that is impressive for that season. Yeah, for something you have to Most defend. Most of them last, yeah. I don't know, 4.5 seconds. Yeah, right? He's one of the few faces when I think of the Hardcore title, like, is, is Big Boss Man. Like, I just, I yeah. don't know why, when I think of that title, uh, obviously Foley, because I think he was one of the first guys, yeah, yeah, but yeah. when I think of guys that had it, I think of, like, Al Snow I think and of Al, and I think, because, I mean, I just watched those matches that they had where they were just, like, you know, picking crutches off of guys and hitting them with them and cr- going across streets and yeah. doing moonsaults and And especially as crazy, as crazy as wrestling was at this time, yeah. you know, for him to keep up. You yeah, get to I do know. this stuff. Right. Like, he didn't have to accept this type of stuff, and he still went for it and had brand new adventures in his career. But it makes him more relevant, and it definitely gives him a place, is the ability to kind of do some of this stuff. Because him just wrestling just regular matches that yeah, he's been wrestling yeah, yeah, for a decade, yeah. this kind of freshens it up. Totally. It puts him in more of a featured position, mm-hmm. so I'm sure he's like, I'm loving every bit of this because I'm just out having there. fun. He's having so much damn fun because it looks so damn fun, so, man. Yeah. And this was the era of, this was the Attitude Era, this was the era of shock and, and edginess. and Nothing weird happened. If, if you're not down with this, you happens. can suck my wiener, uh, <laughs> which was the, the, the attitude of the time. So he's going to have a series of pretty infamous matches here. I don't know what you're uh, talking about. <laughs> matches, angles, a lot of crazy shit, the boss man. No. And again, 
he was just such a fun love and go with the flow no ego cool dude that i'm sure all of this he was like all right it probably doesn't sound like a good idea but i'll drive a blues brothers car through <laughs> a cemetery yeah. who gives a shit <laughs> listen that shit that i do today you know what I'm saying? <laughs> i've only been doing it for like 15 years just on the indie so i can't imagine a guy that wrestled Hulk Hogan and was superplexed on the top of the gauge. I'm like, well, you guys never steered me wrong before. You know? The first of those matches would be in a uh, WrestleMania match in a Hell of a Cell match against The Undertaker. And it's not a match you see a lot in The Undertaker's highlight reel because at the end of this match, The Undertaker hangs him like a murder. See, my, my favorite part of this moment is Michael Cole calling the match. Because he's like, is this symbolic? Yeah. Is this symbolic <laughs> of something? And all I can think is, no, this is a fucking murder. Yeah. This isn't symbolic. <laughs> this is symbolic of death because it's death. <laughs> murder just... with a ton of accomplices. <laughs> yeah, right? A ton of them. I'm just like, you're not upset as you should be. The brood repels down from the ceiling. I forgot that With part. a noose. Gives the Undertaker the noose. The Undertaker hangs them. So Christian, Edge, Gangrel, yep. Undertaker, Big Boss Man, Vince, all the writers in the back, literally everyone was like, we should hang someone. <laughs> and no one was like, that's not a good idea. Like, all we're going to do is we're going to cut to some toy commercial yeah. and we're going to come back and everything's going to be... That's how far things had been yeah. pushed. <laughs> that there's like the idea how can we eclipse everything else? Let's just have a murder. Let's just and then him. bring him right back. No, because why not? But but also too the faith that you that they're gonna hook up this harness because it was all in a lab. Yeah, harness. right. Because yeah. Undertaker you, had to do that properly. Yeah, yeah. Your hands are your your life is in the hands of a man. Uh, they call Undertaker, <laughs> and you have to call him Taker in public. Or else it ruins the whole immersion. Apparently he had something rigged up underneath his bulletproof vest yeah. that he always wore. So I think most of the pressure was him yeah. getting dangled uh, by the like the back of his shirt. I just want to point out that in the match there's a spot where Undertaker repeatedly punches the boss man in the stomach. And I'm like, he's wearing the bulletproof vest. And I'm like, dude, come, <laughs> come, the, come on, what are you doing? Watch some tape. Talk about the Al Snow feud right now, um, which did involve Al Snow's Chihuahua Pepper, uh, which Boss Man eventually kidnapped, ransomed Pepper, and eventually fed Al Snow a meat dish. In a hotel room, (laughs) which is creepy. Listen, when you have to film a pre-tape, in a hotel room. And, and you're rough with locations. Like, I've I've tried to make a hotel breakfast area look like a restaurant. I've, <laughs> I've had to do that just just working at highspots.com. I can't imagine what the the wizards at WWF ha- or WWE have to do every single What day. do we have left? Hotel shit. I've seen them take catering and make it look like a, a restaurant someplace off location because they don't have the time to pick everything <laughs> up and move them, have everything here. It's make filmmaking. It look... It's great filmmaking. You get extras and you do what you got with the location. That you have. And that's what they do. And sometimes it's an arena and you got to make it look like a restaurant. Yeah. They had two fun hardcore matches. I want to say street yeah. fights, but it was just hardcore. I say one is it fully loaded and one is it SummerSlam. SummerSlam. If you can look them up, they are fun as shit all over the place. Like I mentioned before, they go into bars. There's one guy that's the biggest mark in the world trying to pose in front of the camera. Um, Al Snow hits on a girl at a bar. 
Big Boss Man's uh, throwing out is rubbing urinal cakes in Al Snow's face. Uh, it's just good stuff. And uh, so, and I think so. Boss Man won the first one. Snow won the SummerSlam. So it's a best of three. The big blow off match was at uh, Unforgiven '99 in a kennel <laughs> a kennel match. Dog can, kennel from hell. Um, match or, yeah. Which I don't know if you've covered. Unforgiven 99 on how did this get booked, but the whole thing's a big old pile of shit. Uh, but especially this match. So, the kennel from hell is a match inside of an old school blue cage surrounded by a group of pissing and shitting untrained dogs. Humping. Don't forget humping. (laughs) Surrounded by a hell in a cell, which today is still called a Vince Russo turducken. (laughs) (laughs) Which Bruce Pritchard said this is the worst match he's ever seen wow of all the matches that he have he has seen for wwe and 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 he was in tna for a short period of time and global wrestling this this particular match is the worst he's ever seen and and he's even gone and said that al snow tries to defend this match to this day he tries to explain it because yeah, I don't it, know if he defends it as much as he explains he, it. He says that he wanted trained dogs, and he emphasized trained dogs, which went back to Pepper because he wanted to interact with Pepper. And like uh, Russo was like, yeah, and that didn't happen. And even he wanted every dog in the match to be have one trainer so they would know what they would all do, and the dogs would be familiar with each other. But apparently every dog had a different owner, and it was all this different, uh, you know, there was all these different factors. And it was just, Al was like, we need to know the dogs. They need to know each other. And it was not. And imagine was. how cool that match would have been with these rockers. Like teeth going on the cage and saliva coming off of them. And yeah, it would have been so cool. But instead, first of all, they're just adorable. Like, yeah, dogs. They're, cute. they're just cute little dogs. The ones that are barking are barking at each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all it is. They do not care about the humans. I just remember watching because I this was during the time where I was buying all of the pay-per-views. Yeah. I bought this pay-per-view. Uh, and I remember seeing this match and I go, man, this just seemed like a lot of work for just this just, one yeah. match. Like, the best part is the one shot where it shows the cage and there's three sides of the cage and you see nobody on the outside. And you're like, where's all the dogs? And then you see the one side and then they're just all huddled in yeah, the yeah, shot yeah, yeah, yeah. because they're just like, we're done with and, this and we're just trying to get rid of it. And uh, Jerry Lawler and Jim Ross are trying to put over the dogs as he's like ferocious dogs. And eventually halfway through the match, they're just, they, Jerry Lawler just starts roasting the dogs yeah, and making I mean, stupid jokes because there's no making this good. I don't know. Al Snow tried. He brought weapons and tried to make it neat. Well, it's like everybody said that's ever talked about this match. You don't, in Hollywood and filmmaking, you don't work with kids, you don't work with animals, because they'll either show you up or ruin it. So, yeah. there it is. Until this point, the feud was pretty good. I mean, you have Al Snow, who's great. You have Boss Man, who's great. It's memorable. They're doing hardcore <laughs> matches. They're it's having... definitely memorable. Yeah, and then this was just... Shit. Hey, we're don't talking work about... with animals, don't work with kids, don't work with Vince Russo. Fucking make a t-shirt right now. Let's start a feud right on episode three. (laughs) Bro. Bro. Don't worry, I have a script as exhibit A on Vince Russo's ability to write. So that's that's I'm really looking forward to that. I'll I'll tell you off mic. It's pretty fantastic. (laughs) 
so Bossman would then later go on to feud with the Big Show over the WWF Championship. And uh, during the feud, Big Bossman would show up at Big Show's father's funerals, make some disrespectful funerals. Uh, yeah, I was funeral. <laughs> Funeral. Hold on, hold on. Can I uh, can I read the one poem that? Oh, uh, uh, you're gonna read the. Wait, 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 wait. Is that before, before or after the casket? Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. With the deepest regrets and tears that are soaked, I'm sorry to hear that your dad finally croaked. He lived a full life of his own terms. Soon he'll be buried and eaten by worms. But if I could have a son as stupid as you, I'd have wished for cancer so I would die too. So be brave and be strong. Get your life on track. Because the old bastard's dead and he ain't ever coming back. Which very uh, sounds like something Charles Bukowski would write, to be honest. Yeah, it is. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of drinks in him, though. (laughs) A lot of drinks. That would lead to the funeral where Bossman would show up in an old school cop car with a (laughs) comically huge no. You said Blues Brothers. You said Blues Brothers. You are 100% correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it is totally Blues, Blues Brothers. He had a giant megaphone on strapped to the hood. and uh, Like in the Blues Brothers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Blues it, Brothers it was car. It was, uh, if he was only Big Bubba Blues at Brothers. this point, it would have been <laughs> epic. Uh, and they would have got sued. Sorry, real quick. Have you seen Blues Brothers? I have seen Blues Brothers. I don't believe you. Fuck you. <laughs> um, uh, he would chain Boss Man's dad's casket to the back of the car and drive off with Big Show diving on top of it. And then he did a spot where he rolled off and busted yeah, it. Yeah. He rolled through on the bust-ass spot off of the coffin, which is very commendable. <laughs> and, and Bruce Pritchard's stories is fantastic. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, yeah, just yeah. listen to his podcast yeah, on yeah, it and yeah. let him tell you from beginning to end. It's, How he produced that shit. It's I, so fucking good. I love it and can relate <laughs> because Michael Bikikio of HighSpots.com has put me in a predicament that is kind of illegal. Cemetery? Not a cemetery. cemetery, But definitely he's put me in situations where he's like, "Mm, the people I've got in charge of this aren't going to get this done. Jake, I know, is going to break some laws (laughs) and make sure this happens. I've been in that situation before. All right. Uh, Also, uh, Boss Man would eventually invade the big show's mother's house with a secret camera on her uh, (laughs) and force her to admit that Big Show was her illegitimate child and oh say things God. like he ain't your daddy big show <laughs> and uh big show actually ended up beating the rock to become the number one contender and would face big show at uh 99 armageddon and the big show won anything else on the on, on that feud poor big show uh this and then in 2000 bull buchanan would come in as Bossman's protege and they'd have a tag team facing the likes of uh farouk and bradshaw and the hardys well let me i got something to add on this as far as this protege thing this is something that i've heard from from one source and i've heard from multiple people but i don't know how true it is but this is very interesting in hindsight years later when i first heard it um i was like no nah, this seems ridiculous but now that i've seen how things have turned out over the years at WWE. Like, um, now, Bull Buchanan came in as a protege of Big Boss Man. From what I've been told, is that actually Big Boss Man was supposed to have three protégés. Mm. He was supposed to, because this was just after WrestleMania, and Big Boss Man was going to be the mouthpiece for these three guys that were coming up from the developmental yeah, territory yeah. of Memphis. Mm. And it was supposed to be Steve Bradley, who is an internet darling, who everybody remarked was just like Rob Van Dam. Very athletic 
And that's probably part of the reason why WWE signed him. It was like, oh, we've got a guy who's just as good as him or can do right. just the stuff that he can do. But we got him in developmental. And see Bradley, internet darling, didn't get enough love. Uh, fantastic individual. Steve Bradley is going to be one of the protégés. Bull was always going to be one of those. And also Murray Happer, who was bowed up from ECW fame. Um, but, uh, and I got this directly from Murray Happer himself. Not to tell his story, and he, he I, he's told this on camera before, uh-huh. but I won't get into all of the details about it. Basically, he was there WrestleMania weekend. He was uh, he was going to go work out, took some stuff, fucked up in oh, front no. of <clears throat> Stephanie McMahon, yeah. and then they squashed the whole uh, triad crazy. of boss man having three guys of steve bradley murray happer and bull Buchanan. they brought bull in eventually but they were supposed to debut i guess after wrestlemania boss man was going to be a mouthpiece so you were going to have and they were all going to wear like this paramilitary swat team, SWAT team stuff which ended up being the shield yeah. later on so the idea of having three guys in paramilitary group kind of all makes sense now we're first like oh yeah sure you're just saying that but then you see years later like oh they've always had a hard no, yeah, on yeah, yeah, yeah. for a triad if of paramilitary away, troopers they're not just gonna be like never gonna try that again yeah, yeah, yeah. so <laughs> that just adds different. more validity that they were gonna have murray happer steve yeah, bradley and bull buchanan up for... yeah just that's brutal man yeah and that's and that's tough and he, he was released shortly after and you know just wrestled in the carolina Indies. great wrestler awesome dude yeah um, i mean if he's getting rob van dam comparisons no, no, Steve Bradley was, 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 uh, was the other guy right? murray, well the other guy murray happer yeah. was very uh, a bigger guy uh, okay but he he definitely can move like a like a son of a bitch like yeah, he, yeah, yeah he can move just as good as boss he never uh, well i guess not too much longer after this, WCW got bought, but he never got like a WCW or ECW. No. He, he and he left ECW so abruptly, yeah. and then they closed out shortly after. Yeah, they're on the way out at exactly. this point too. How long yeah. was he at ECW? Uh, it was it was just a couple of months, mm-hmm. and actually, I mean, we're almost we're in two thousand right now, so ECW is uh, yeah, it's you close. know it's on, a, on its way out. Yeah, but like he he missed that opportunity. Yeah. It happened at the wrong time. Like if yeah, this would yeah, happen yeah, in ninety yeah. seven, he'd still have an ECW to go. He's right, right, ECW, right. Yeah, yeah, But it happened but, in yeah, two thousand. Boom, everything's gone, and, and everything's you know, eviscerated. And if you weren't before a star, Ring of Honor, uh, yeah, man, what a what a weird uh void in wrestling to not have a no place windows. to go yeah no but at the same time too the fact that boss man was going to have a paramilitary triad free shield yeah, would have been yeah. interesting because you had the the guy that could do all the flips and steve bradley and then you had i think murray would be kind of would have been the dean ambrose of the group and i think the roman of the group would have been bullied. i mean it's just dumb that i mean who knows like what boss man's career would have changed and what his life would have and also do that impacted on if that would have happened because he would have been more of a mouthpiece yeah. as opposed to a guy that had to take the bumps yeah so uh, uh bull was a Big, good-looking guy too. He was a monster. I mean, awesome, was, sweet dude, Georgia guy, cool dude. Yeah, cool. he. Uh, but he never quite something. He never quite got it. Uh, got big in WWF, right? I just like, think he wasn't a good talker. Yeah. Okay. Great mm-hmm. presence. What? But, yeah. What? He was. Wasn't, a, wasn't was known as a talker. That's why you put him with Bossman. Yeah. All right. Uh, so by summer of 2000, Bossman not having a lot uh, going on. He was mostly taking off TV, doing things like Heat or whatever, and, yeah. and house shows. He would uh, in 01 get a leg injury that would keep him out almost the entire year until December, where he'd come back and team up with Booker T. I don't remember that 
really at all. Um, <laughs> from there, he would bounce around, have some minor feuds, you know, uh, show up at tapings. But he was mostly at this point just doing heat and uh, the other one. Uh, Shotgun. Yeah, yeah, the, the smaller stuff. Putting people I don't know over. if Velocity was going a thing at this I time. I think Velocity w- w- was one of them. I was thinking Shotgun Saturday Night. And then his final WWE match would be against Tommy Dreamer, May 20th, 2002, and it was a heat taping. After that, he was assigned as like a coach to the developmental territory, uh, Ohio Valley Wrestling. Which Cornette was associated, so it only makes sense. Come yeah, on man, in, right? You know, he we knows the stuff. Here. And you, and you need a bigger guy to communicate to younger, bigger guys. Yeah. How, how do you be big? But how do you be agile? When to sell, when not to sell? You think like, oh, just you do this. And like the bigger you are, the easier it is. No, it's a complex yeah, it's a room, act of... Especially if you're agile because they want you to take those bumps. But then you got to know when to take those bumps. Because yeah. if you're agile right. and you can do an impress- impressive stuff, you can't be a heel because you're, you're too mean, cool. You, yeah, yeah, I mean, you got to. Yeah. And then you got to know when to be a monster, when not to be a monster. Yeah. It's a more complex thing than what it is. So you need someone like Big Boss Man to convey that to you. Right. Um. Uh, apparently had a big hand in grooming Brock Lesnar, and they yeah, were like uh, kind of like buds. They were like really close, and it was uh, really hard on Brock uh, all, for him getting let go, and then later, um, you know, when Bossman died, um, and a, uh, Bossman would eventually get let go by WWE as a trainer. That's what surprises me. Yeah, me too. He was I, such a company guy. I don't want to He kind of got. Tre- not, I don't know if he got treated badly, but he got taken off TV, you know, slowly bumped down, uh, eventually let go of wrestling. But just so much train- experience and how much yeah, he teach just the big guys like you're him, talking about, Jake. But also, but also, too, like he probably still wanted to be involved in wrestling. Yeah. You know, and if, if he's there training, it, like it's not like it is now where Performance Center's guys take bookings uh, on the weekend and they get the wrestle places and stuff like that and do appearances like no like he's there all the time and he'd be in louisville not georgia where he could like well why don't i just go to georgia and then i could take a couple japan gigs or take some indies or do something and then i can be in locker rooms with with still being around wrestling but i'm still wrestling yeah I I i think i think it's i think it's more of a situation like probably agreed to terms like you know i don't like this training thing well it's yeah. like 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 uh pritchard said on his thing is like boss man always just loved being a part of things and being a part of a story and it's just like he he loved he would have been part a suit. Of he would have been a suit if he was a trainer i'm yeah, sure yeah yeah mind. he just he enjoyed having fun doing what he loved so yeah I, i'd imagine that had a lot to do with it he wanted to still wrestle and he wasn't getting that anymore in wwe yeah. so he uh so his final matches ever were in the International Wrestling Association of Japan. Yeah, it's so weird. Um, where he compete in a in tournament for the vacant IWA uh, Heavyweight Championship, uh, where he would beat Freddie Cougar, uh-huh. who was uh, Doug Gilbert, before losing to Jim Duggan, who I I think went on to win it. I don't know. He did. Um, no, that was the final. Right? That was the final. I'm Duggan sure was, that was the okay. final. Yeah. 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 Uh, the free so thing. like in 2004 that's still the final I don't know it's just <laughs> and then in July of 04 he ran for commission chairman for Paulding County Georgia I have no idea what that means um, 
He was also the owner of Dallas, Georgia storage company RWT Enterprises, which, according to Google, seems to still be open. So, so if you're in the area, yeah, you put need, your shit there. Yeah, uh, yeah. go uh, rent some storage lockers, uh, support the Bossman family, assuming they still own it. I don't know. On September 22nd of 04, Trailer died of a heart attack at 41, which is brutally young, um, at his home in Dallas, Georgia. It was very unexpected. He was found by his wife, who just briefly left the room uh, uh, to come back and find out they passed away. Jesus, that's... They, Felt that he was cold. Yeah, put a they, blanket on him. They, oh yeah, she didn't know it immediately. That's yeah, I remember and, uh, that now. The coroner said he had a massive heart attack. God, forty-one. You know, imagine he could have done. I, I don't know. He had uh, he had another forty years to give to the business as an expert. You know, he, he was so good. And you know, it's sad that somebody dies that young. But at the same time, too, you know, he passed away at home. Yeah, around what? around loved ones. Loved ones. I mean, yeah, and, and like we like we just like just recently a few months ago, or like it'd be about a month now, but it'd be a few months now since the release of this episode. Uh, a local comic died in a hotel room by himself. Yeah, like Spanky Brown died in a hotel room. Like he was supposed to be at a show, and like where's he at? And they go to the hotel room and they find him dead yeah. alone in a hotel room, which is typically the fate of yeah. comedians, pro wrestlers. And the fact that you passed away at your home and the fact that your wife, like, you know, like didn't recognize it, but the fact that she loved you so much. Like, Put a blanket over, yeah. Blanket I mean, yeah, not, that like, is, that's, that's sweet. That's that, nice. Like, like that's, that's just, it's it's heartbreaking, but the fact that you have somebody there that loves you yeah, that much. I mean, there's not a, yeah, to get to have that in your life is Cause, lucky. Because how, how many, how many pro wrestlers, like I said, it's, it's, they die of a drug overdose. Mm-hmm. Or, right, right, right. Or, you know, they're with... Their third wife, they you know, yeah. let him down this path. Or, or Kevin Sullivan murders them. But, you know, yeah. all yeah, all those horrific things that you see. It just, it I, just truly makes it sadder though, because fuck, his he, so like he was really, surrounded uh, by so much goodness. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. Like, the dude was just he was. You hear about poisonous people in every industry, and he was just a happy, big-hearted, yeah. lovable guy. Well, he came to this business with love, and he left. And he left. With the, yeah, with love. it was. It is tragically sad and way too early, but at the same time, like this beautiful kind of way to go out. You know, if I can go out getting covered up by my wife and, you know, uh, no one, you know, just dying peacefully. I, I don't know. I don't know. The, fact, the fact that in four years it'll be his age, I disagree with yeah, everything I you guys I, said. I agree that. It's all bullshit. No. I don't like anything it is. you guys said. <laughs> I don't want your kind words. In four years. I don't, I, well, I, maybe <laughs> five years for me, um, before I'd be, you know, 41, and... Son of a bitch, I'm older than Jake. Fuck. I got 10 years, so fuck you, buddy. Fuck. I got, I got <laughs> but, hope. like, I mean, if, to think about, like, if I look back at my life and I wrestled Hulk Hogan on top, had wrestled no, no, Dude had a solid life, yeah. Like, I mean, like if, if Fred like, L. Snow's dog to him. <laughs> so we're talking about like three years, so like I'd be like training students, which is kind of what I'm doing right now, but yeah. I don't have any of the WrestleManias, any of the Starcades <laughs> or friends or people I'd helped or all these people along the way that or did these amazing things, had yeah. a, re, a resurgence in my career. Like I didn't have any of that. No, I mean, but if I continue on the path that i'm on right now and five years from now i pass away i i don't i don't know if i'd be too sad about it 
You know, it, it's not great. But like yeah. I said, there are far worse deaths to yeah. uh, bestow and, upon him. And he only had 41 years, but damn, did he have a good 41 no, years. No, I mean, you know, he, like, he did so much all at once, repeatedly. I mean, he didn't have much downtime for uh, great stuff in his life. And and touch people like on a, on a personal level in the business. Yeah, uh, one, of, one of the people, um, when, when we, we were talking about Big Boss Man, it reminded me of a story... Uh, that Terry Reynolds told on our shoot interview. Um, Terry Reynolds, you, who you wouldn't gold dust, uh, yeah, you yeah, wouldn't yeah. you wouldn't expect uh, her to really know Big Boss Man or have a good <laughs> yeah, story. I, I don't know uh, that connection. Like, like what's yeah. that connection? Yeah. But it turns out they were very good friends. So so good, in fact. And he was so good to her on the road and took care of her and made sure she was okay traveling mm. on the road because. As a woman traveling at of night, course. that's problematic. Yeah. Uh-huh. But he always made sure she was taken care of, especially when she's going through her ups and downs yeah. with Dustin. But he made sure she was okay, and so much they were so close. In fact, that when Terry was getting going through her, I believe, second marriage, but her marriage after Dustin, she was getting married to a guy she knew before the wedding happened. She didn't want to be married to New, New Jack. Uh, no, <laughs> this is between Dustin and New Jack. It's somewhere in between. But she had uh, Ray Trailer, big boss man, give her away. Yeah. And, yeah, and, before, and before she walked out, she knew she she didn't want to marry this man. But Fuck. they sat down and had a conversation. It was like, you know, he, he called her sissy. He's like, well, what do you want to do, sissy? Oh, God. And, and, yeah. and they're just like, well, yeah. all the people are here. It's already sold out. You got to go through it. So <laughs> they just went through it. And, you know, but the fact that. The person that she confided in this very uncomfortable, awkward moment was yeah. It big says boss everything. Man. It says everything in the world. And, man. and about somebody you, yeah. a connection of human beings you would never think, but but just because he was a nice dude, and if anybody to give her away on her wedding day, it was him, and confided in her. In, in that says so damn yeah, much. Just the way people talk about him unanimously. You know, Jim Cornette loves him, and Jim Cornette's an old grumpy man at this point. You know he. he uh, Stone Cold loved him. Said he was funny. He was charming. He was a great worker. I mean, this guy. Uh, what what bigger compliment? Can, they have a whole career in a business, and everyone just gush about you. Everyone just love you. He was just a good dude. Yeah, I mean, if if that many people love me for the human being that I am at forty one, that's pretty lucky. That's right, to sum up his uh, career a little bit. He beat The Rock, he beat Hulk Hogan, he beat Sting, Ted DiBiase, Big Show, Undertaker, Randy Savage, Stone Cold, Ric Flair, Mick Foley, won the UWF title, tag team championships in WWF, four-time hardcore champion, with the longest reign. I was going to say, the longest reign in hardcore, that's 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 pretty, that's, that's, that's something. Let that be known. Yeah. Let that be but the biggest, out of all those accomplishments, the biggest, I think, is just how love that dude is like everyone misses him and you know sucks and and even before he passed uh he was coming through charlotte obviously years out of, out of the business yeah. you know what i'm saying uh, 2000 2004 um roughly about the time um just traveling through charlotte he called up george south just because yeah. he had his phone number and it was like, hey, man, it, it, I can't remember what, why he called him specifically, but he knew he was coming through Charlotte. He knew George had a training school and was running shows and just yeah. wanted to check in with him. Probably was like, hey, if you ever got, need a booking or whatever, just want to talk and let you know <laughs> I'm here. That's so awesome. Just out of the blue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, not long before he passed, just somebody that was you at the same level like, as him. How do you even have my number still or why do you? Yeah. It, it, it's, <laughs> yeah. like Bill, it's like Bill Burr 
just yeah. going calling up an old friend that he knew yeah, at an open yeah. mic years ago. I'm like, hey, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I was just going through Worcester and I know. Is there an open mic what, around? Or you're like, hey, you know, like, you know, remember we used to do this open mic stuff, just checking in, seeing yeah. how you're doing, how the family is. You know, I've lived the life, but I want to know about you. That's great, man. Did you put together a list of matches people need to watch? The Ronnie Garvin uh, Starcade '86. Yeah, that's fun. Louisville Street Fight match. That's pretty great. It's nothing but punches and selling, but goddamn, it is good punches and selling. Uh, Hogan Steel Cage match is great. Saturday Night Main Event. '87 War Games. Uh, he was the War Machine. That's a five-star Metzler match. That's another uh, big boss man was involved in a five-star match. Putting that out there. <laughs> Let's see what else. Uh, the Mountie loser goes to jail match. The opening punch of that match is one of the best punches. <laughs> yeah, he just sucks him. <laughs> he like it looks like a shoot punch. The way the Mountie uh, sells it and the sound on the punch, it's it's a thing of art. Vader Guardian Angel Beach of the ba- uh, Bash at the Beach '94 is good. Uncensored Sting match. Um, the fully loaded and SummerSlam Al Snow matches are pure insanity that are great. Oh, yeah, and there's a pepper on a pole match with the ashes of pepper that uh, is a SmackDown show, but I couldn't find it. But, uh, yeah, pepper on a pole match. Dear, uh, rest in peace, pepper. Uh, final thoughts before we wrap up here. I'm Big Boss Man. I think I kind of said it over and over again, you know. And, yeah. and now you're now realizing that, like, you put it in perspective when you said four years, and I'm thinking five years. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, it just it kind of puts a lot of things in perspective. Because um, you, you, we just list off this amazing career of somebody that I just assumed passed away at 58. Right. You know? yeah, but yeah. the fact that, that he was 17 shy of that, but yeah. so much Ooh. went on. Yeah, he, he touched lives of fans, but the, his coworkers and the respect of everybody. And I think that's just, that's his legacy. So, like I think I already said earlier, um, 89, 90 when I first got into wrestling. Him and Ultimate Warrior is like fuck Hogan, like uh, Big Boss Man and Ultimate Warrior are my favorites. And it, I mean, it was big because Boss Man was right around Atlanta where I was, but it was just like this is my dude, man. It's like oh my gosh, he's big, tough, and he's got the nightstick and the, the stupid ass theme song. And I was just I was I was a big Boss Man fan, and it was it was it was very influential on me. Yeah, again, I think we kind of covered everything. I think one thing that sticks out too. He was a WWE Hall of Famer. He was put in in 16, and his daughters and wife put him in. But his oldest daughter, I'd assume, who knew him the most, kind of gave the speech. And just had no- in a business where I'd assume strains the shit out of your family. Just nothing but how loving and great and amazing Big Boss Man was. And that really stuck out to me that, you know, a guy who lived through pro wrestling could still have this, just a big enough heart to stay close to his family was uh, real neat. Yeah, it's pretty I rare. think, you know, what else can you say about the dude? He, he was uh, one of my favorite wrestlers, one of the great workers, one of the great dudes of all time. So, all right. We'll wrap this up. Michael Loving, Jay Tw- <laughs> Jay Trotter. Wow. You, <laughs> Jay Trotter. Is this an ongoing bit? Is this a bit you're doing where... <laughs> Michael's Twitter handle Michael's is... Twitter handle uh, is... Michael Jackson lo- loves... Uh, Michael Loving, Jay Trotter, 2700. <laughs> you did it correctly and you're still fucking up. Also, uh, the Man Scout Jake Manning, Man Scout Manning, t- Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, all the things. 
at Tim Bell Pod, Instagram, Tumblr, Twitter, Facebook. We will post the episodes somewhere. Uh, you can find them on iTunes and Stitcher. And Stitcher. And SoundCloud. SoundCloud, YouTube, yeah. a bunch of places. Everywhere where podcasts are available because some platforms just search all, all of them. If you, Our personal Facebook pages because we really need the help. Yeah, we're... If you want to listen to this podcast, we're going to make it very available to you. Uh, all right. This is uh, Tim Bell Pod, Episode 3. This was Big Boss Man. He was the best. Rest in peace.